Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. The Book of Psalms is a book of poetry, prayers, and songs that people wrote to God, prayed to God, and even used to lead others in the worship of God. The Psalms give us insight into what a relationship with God looks like and examples of how we can pour out our joys, fears, and our heart's desires to God. Join us weekly as we spend the summer in Psalms. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. We are in our second week of Summer in the Psalms. Today, we're going to be looking at Psalm 8, and we're excited today because we have someone who's going to be sharing with us today, Harrison Daniels. He's one of our young adult leaders, and he's one of our elders, so give him a warm Valleybrook welcome. Good morning. It's so good to see you all, those of you who are in the building and those of you who are online. Glad you're joining us as well. As Pastor Clark said, we are in the second week of Summer in the Psalms, which I just love the ring to that. It's a nice alliteration. Uh, but it's just, I'm so excited for us as a church to be going through the Psalms together. Our young adult group actually just did a full read-through of the Psalms starting in February, and we just ended a couple weeks ago. And It was just such a blessing to us to be able to read and engage in these words that were written for us to be so real with God and to understand him better and ourselves, who we are in relative to him better as well. So uh, I'm excited. Uh, Today I get to talk about one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 8. Um, But for those of you who are following along with us, there is also a reading plan online on our website that I would encourage you to check out because we're kind of hitting some high points through the Psalms, but the reading plan is where you can go in depth in between Sundays. So please check that out if you haven't already. Uh, For those of you who don't know, uh, my wife Casey and I moved up here uh, from Atlanta, Georgia five years ago, and that's where we grew up. And when I was a kid down there, I was in the Boy Scouts, and one of my favorite trips was one that we took my eighth grade year, and it was a deep sea fishing trip off the coast of Florida. And so uh, about 16 of us teenage boys piled in some cars and we drove down to Florida. We stayed in a military base and got up early the next morning uh, and headed to the docks. And we got there, we were so excited. There were these big burly fishermen who were loading up the boat. And so we, while they were doing that, we ran up to the front of the boat and we took turns taking those Titanic pictures, you know, I'm king of the world. And Back then, that was was a little bit before smartphone cameras, right? So we had to bring those little plastic disposable cameras. I don't know if any of you remember those, but you you hold it up, you look through the little plastic window, you take your picture, and then you have to whine and you go, and then you take your next one, and then you hope that the pictures come out good because you're not going to see them until you get them developed at Walmart like a month later. Um, But we were doing that, and it wasn't long before we set sail, and we were heading off to catch what we were hoping was the biggest fish of our entire lives. And then something happened. So the the Boy Scout motto is, be prepared. And so we all expected seasickness to come upon us. And so we prepared for that by taking motion sickness medicine earlier that day. Uh, What I didn't know was that there's a difference between the normal brand of seasickness medicine and the non-drowsy version. And so 
I took the normal version. Everybody else took the, the non-drowsy version, and it wasn't long before I was out like a light in the cabin of the boat, whereas everybody else is fishing. Um, so I woke up, and all the guys were like, oh, you look so funny. You're, you're laying there on the boat with your mouth hanging open. And I was like, oh, man, now I'm embarrassed. And, and so, it, you know, I was like, oh. But then they had been fishing all morning, and so they all got tired at the same time, and they all crammed into this tiny little cabin. They fell asleep, and they were laying all over each other with their mouths hanging open, and so I knew that was my moment for retribution. So I winded up my camera. I took some pictures, and I embarrassed them a month later when we were able to compare our photos. Uh, but one of the most striking memories I have from that trip was when things were calm on the boat, and I was there, and uh, you know things were just peaceful. I remember looking out at the ocean and just seeing it every direction, just ocean, and then knowing that there are unfathomable depths beneath me and the blue sky stretching above me. And I realized this was the first time I had never seen land in my young life. And in a moment, I was just intimidated. There's just so much grandeur and all the things that were happening on the boat, you know, what my friends thought about me, whether I was going to catch a fish or not, it all just kind of faded away. And I just felt small and insignificant. And today we're looking at Psalm 8, and I think that we get the same experience when we read this psalm as I had when I looked out onto that ocean. I believe David wrote, the writer of the psalm wrote this, to draw our attention from the little fishing boats that are our lives and out into understanding who God is and who we are relative to him. Specifically, we'll see that this psalm is themed around the kingship of God or his majesty through his mighty works of creation and redemption. We got a, a great overview of the psalm in our opening video, but let's unpack it together. We start reading, For the director of music, according to Gittith, a psalm of David. I love it when a psalmist adds a superscript like this because it can be helpful in understanding the context in which it was written. Uh, in this one, we are told that it's according to Giddith. I didn't know what a Giddith was, so I looked it up and uh, found out that it could be a type of harp, but also could mean wine press. So some scholars think that this indicated it's a vintage tune, which I think is kind of cool because it feels like we're reading something from King David's greatest hits album. Um, so already we know this is a special psalm. Let's read verse 1. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. And I'm going to pause there. Because already in these first few verses, we can see that, we're, that David is declaring the majesty of God as he sees God's glory and power written in creation. And just like teenage me stepping out onto that boat and just seeing the wide ocean around me, I think we catch David in a similar moment as he steps out under the night sky and we're getting his raw reaction, just taking it all in. There's stars everywhere. It seems like some kind of beautiful chaos but then as he looks closer, there are different brightness levels and different colors, and there's constellation patterns and movement as if each star has its own story to tell. And what is his reaction? He says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic 
is your name in all the earth. He's so overwhelmed by God's work in creation that he can't help but sing out in praise and adoration. He connects what he's seeing to the one who said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. David says that the one who spoke that and made all of this is worthy to be declared king of everything and to be worshipped in praise. And I believe this psalm is encouraging us to follow David's gaze up and out into God's creation to remember how awesome he is. There are many reasons why I love our Valleybrook campus. It's just, it's beautiful. But one of my favorite experiences here on our campus is when I'm here at a night event and I step outside, I can see so many stars in the sky. And it's an unusual experience for me because closer to the center of town and, you know, the cities that we frequent, there's so much light pollution that we can't normally see so this many stars as, as I can here at night. And I think similar to the way that light pollution prevents us from seeing the stars, I think there's a type of attention pollution that can prevent us from seeing God in our day-to-day lives. And there's a book that I've read recently called Competing Spectacles by Tony Reinke, and I found it to be such an important read for our modern times because it talks about how this attention pollution affects us. Because, you know, every day we wake up and we're immediately constantly bombarded by busyness, responsibilities, breaking news, advertisements for the next best thing, relationship drama, whatever other notifications and little dings that ping us from our little computer screens that we all carry. But here's what Reinke writes about this type of attention pollution. He says, smartphones make it possible for the attention economy to target our little attention gaps as we transition between tasks and duties. Our attention may be slightly elastic enough to fill up every empty gap of silence in our days, but in the end, it's still a zero-sum game. We have limited amounts of time to focus in a given day, and now every second of our attention can be targeted and commoditized. The human heart bends towards what the eye sees. Today's image makers fling into the world digital spectacles of wealth, power, sex, and popularity. Those images get inside us, shape us, and form our lives in ways that compete with God's design for our focus and worship. I think too often we let the perspective of the world around us shrink as we tend to look downward and inward. I believe God injected his majesty into creation around us to draw our attention back to him and his glory. The prophet Isaiah echoes the words of David when he implores Israel to look up, saying, Look up to the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. So my question for all of us is, when's the last time that you took a step into creation, put away all the distractions, and let yourself be drawn to the majesty of God? 
We should all take that time to look up and out, to take a hike or go watch a sunset or go stargazing. You know, when I was in college, I studied physics and astronomy, and I found that the more I learned about the way that God designed and built the universe, the more amazed I was of his power and creativity. You know, there's so many minute details that had to fall perfectly in place just for our physical reality to work. You know, at the time in history that David wrote this psalm, all he had to see the stars with was his naked eye. But today, with telescopes, we can look even further and look in more detail at the starry host above. So uh, I was on NASA's website a few weeks ago, and uh, I saw that they had posted this recent image from the Hubble Space Telescope. Amazing, right? Here's what NASA said uh, along with the image. They said, this packed image taken with the Hubble Space Telescope showcases the galaxy cluster ACOS 295, as well as a jostling crowd of background galaxies and foreground stars. Galaxies of all shapes and sizes populate this image, ranging from stately spirals to fuzzy ellipticals. This galactic menagerie boasts a range of orientations and sizes with spiral galaxies such as the one at the center of this image appearing almost face-on and some edge-on spiral galaxies visible only as thin slivers of light. How majestic is the king who made that? And it's mind-boggling to me to think that we're looking at galaxies here. Like, we live in the Milky Way galaxy with its own millions and millions of stars, but each one of those has millions and millions of stars with millions and millions of solar systems just like ours. And it's just, it's amazing. And I was interested to see how people reacted to this image online. And one person commented this, this is breathtaking and doesn't even seem possible. And another said this, I get chills looking at images like these. How insignificant are we? I found this last comment to be interesting. Why does the enormity and intricacy of our universe cause us to get chills and feel insignificant? What does that say about us as humans? As I was pondering this question, I was reminded of a, another fateful experience on that same deep sea fishing trip. After a good day of fishing, it was time for us to pack it up and go home. And it was about a six hour drive to Atlanta. So as you imagine, we had to take some stops along the way. And so the first time we stopped at a gas station, it was a normal gas station stop. And while the adults were filling up the cars, you know, we used the restroom and got some snacks. But what was probably not normal was our choice of snacks. Um, unseen by our parents, we had some camp cash and we bought tons of candy and some energy drinks and got back in the car. And so I think you can imagine how the next, the, the ride evolved from there. So, you know, we're driving along, we're eating all this candy, chugging these energy drinks, and Soon we are just off the wall hyper. Like, I'm sure if there's a car driving next to us, they looked over and saw this SUV like shaking violently side to side just because there's so much pent up energy in there. And so the adults wisely decided to take an early dinner and we stopped at a rest station somewhere in Alabama. And so the doors of the car open, we just explode out and we're just like running all over this field, throwing a football around, having a good time. And then something happened so fast that it's still a blur in my memory. But 
a bigger kid came running up to me and he tripped right as he got to me and we both went down, him on top of me and I landed with my arm like this and crack, my shoulder broke. And in that moment, it was just such intense pain, probably the most pain I had felt in my young life. And thankfully I was with Boy Scouts, so they were quick with the whole first aid thing and got it in a sling. Uh, but I just remember on the car ride home that the muscles kept spasming around the bone and it just felt like I was breaking over and over again. And whereas on the boat before I felt small, this time I felt small and weak. Like I just, like I felt like the most fragile thing in the world and I was powerless. And I think we've all experienced these feelings of powerlessness. Many of us have experienced the frailty of the human body in ways far more painful or chronic than just a broken bone. We know of people who have been a picture of health in their day, only to be suddenly diagnosed by cancer or some other disease. And we aren't just susceptible to physical weakness. Some of us spent countless hours planning for the future or managing our retirement accounts, only to see them wiped away by an unpredictable crash. Or we feel helpless when a relationship is falling apart and there seems like there's nothing we can do to stop it. Or when mental illness grips someone that we love. Or when anxiety and depression paralyze our own thoughts. And in the end, no matter how hard we try to put it off, we all face the unrelenting certainty of death. And this weakness isn't limited to us as individuals. How many empires and nations of history have risen to power only to crumble into a few broken artifacts? Or how many times has our modern human society been turned upside down by wars that claim the lives of millions? Or our greatest cities been leveled in the aftermath of natural disasters? Or how quickly can society as we have built it, with all of our sophisticated technologies, advanced medical capabilities, elaborate governments, and interconnected economies be brought low by the spread of a microscopic coronavirus. Why do we get chills looking at the universe? Not only does it make it feel small, but it also reveals how powerless we really are. When we combine the reality of our weakness with the reality of our mighty God, who in a single breath created entire galaxies filled with millions of stars that burn thousands of degrees hotter than the sun in our sky, I think we get at where David is coming from when he writes in Psalm 8, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Here, the Hebrew word that is used for mankind literally means weak man. And we can become so consumed with controlling our own little world around us that we tend to forget the gap between our power and God's power. And when we take a step back and realize the difference between the two, we're seeing a more accurate picture of our fragile existence and also God's majesty. This is why David reacts by saying, like, how could, could a God so big and holy care about someone as an insignificant and weak as me? Going back to the prophet Isaiah, he's granted a vision where he's in the presence of the Lord, and this is his response. Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips." 
and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When Isaiah sees God, he's not like, oh, cool, nice to meet you. I've heard about you, like he's some famous celebrity. No, he's completely wrecked in the presence of God because he immediately understands the difference between his weakness and God's glory. And I think when we recognize that, we have the same response. Scripture calls this feeling the fear of the Lord. And it's when we humble ourselves by recognizing that God's greatness demands our obedience and our surrender. The book of Proverbs calls the fear of God the beginning of knowledge because it is a starting point for understanding our true reality, that we're not in control, nor do we deserve to be. But God is the ruler of everything, and he is worthy to be. But here's an incredible thing. Even though the gap between God and us weak humans is infinitely large, he still created us to be his image bearers on this earth. Check this out. In verse 5 of Psalm 8, it says, You have made them a little lower than the angels. And some translations translate that angel's word as God. And crown them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. This is amazing. God imparted some of his kingship into us, making us rulers over creation. Here David is referencing Genesis 1 again, when God says, let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This was God's first blessing to us as humanity. And even though we are weak, our history shows that we have thrived over all of the other creatures of the earth. You know, when I went fishing with the Boy Scouts, we didn't have to make some kind of deal with the, the king of the fish where we were like, okay, if we can catch 20 of you fish, we'll throw over the sleeping kid in the cabin. No, the world tries to tell us that we're a little bit higher than the animals, but in reality, we are created to be a little bit lower than God. And that's a huge difference in understanding our worth to him. We are made to be rulers over and responsible for the natural world that we live in this beautiful, meticulously designed, intricate world is just one giant love letter from God to the humanity he created. And for me, knowing that my all-powerful father made all of this for his glory and my good makes me want to join with David and say, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. But there is another problem even though God has established his worthiness of glory and gave us the loving gift of creation, we as people let that power go to our heads. Adam and Eve were presented with a different perspective 
not just to be ruler over creation, but to be like God. And in that moment, humanity decided that our glory was more important than God's. We threw out the crown that God gave us and cursed his creation. And you and I carry that with us today. We fall every day and our weakness is compounded by the sin in our lives. The perspective of Psalm 8 slips through our grasp as we tend to look down and in instead of up and out. But there's an incredible undercurrent to Psalm 8 that adds one more dimension to the majesty of God. Humanity may have failed, but there was one man who redeemed what we had lost. Jesus, through whom all creation was made, was born into the fragile frame of a human being in a world fallen in sin. He assumed our weakness so that he could live the perfect life that we could not and die the only death that could atone for my sins and your sins. The writer of Hebrews talks about Jesus and quotes Psalm 8 directly. They write, It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You have made them a little lower than the angels. You crown them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. Sound familiar? In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for a little while now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, he is made king over everything and is rightfully crowned with glory and honor. And because he did it for us, we can be called children of God through him and share in his holiness. And what does that mean for us? Let's finish this passage in Hebrews. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like, made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. This is amazing. We've talked about how God's power and glory in our weakness makes him worthy of our praise. But now that Jesus, for those of us who have put our faith in him, we get to become what Jesus is, a beloved child of the almighty God, the creator of everything, and saved from humanity's bondage to sin and death. You know, we glazed over verse 2 of Psalm 8 before, but I want us to go back to it real quick and, and see the incredible prophecy that it contains. It says, Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence 
the foe and the avenger. That's you and me. What in this universe is more beautiful than a dazzling star in the sky or the most beautiful sunset or a stunning view of the ocean? I believe it is the transformation of a human heart from death to life through the power of Jesus' work on the cross. Of someone being a slave to the power of sin and death to an adopted son or daughter to the almighty God. God takes the weak and displays his glory through us and his grace for us who put us who put our faith in Jesus. And as brothers and sisters of Jesus, not only are we in his family, we are also restored to God's original design for us as heirs over creation. In Romans, we read this. It says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Though very memorable, my deep sea fishing trip was not the most important thing that happened to me that year. That was the year that this teenage boy with a broken shoulder and a dead heart decided to put his faith in Jesus. And in that moment, my eternity was changed forever. I was no longer following my own path, but God's path. I didn't have to rely on my own weakness, but God's strength. And yes, I still stumble and I still fall every day, but I know that God has given me his spirit and is making me more and more like Jesus every day. And for those of you who have also accepted Jesus, you know this, you have your own unique and beautiful story where God's grace has come into your life and changed you forever. And it's so important for each of us, not only to look up and out at God's creation and praise him for his glory, but also to share our stories. You know, just like the stars in the sky, I believe that God gave you your story to be a conduit for people to see him, to see his majesty, to see Jesus. And we should share that with the world around us who needs it. And for those of you who have not experienced this saving grace of Jesus, there's good news. It's available for you today. God is waiting for you. He loves you more than the stars in the sky, which he made for you. Now we're gonna enter a time of prayer. And if you feel God stirring something in your heart, lean into that. I'm gonna give you some words that you can pray uh, you know, in, if you wanna accept Jesus. And the words themselves aren't anything magical. It's what happens in your heart. But you can use these as a guideline. So why don't we all bow our heads and let's pray together. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. And I believe Jesus rose from the dead. Now I commit my life to follow him. And Lord, for all of us, I just pray that your spirit helps us to draw our attention up and out to your glory, whether that's through creation, through your word, God. Give us a hunger to know more of you. God, to 
for us to look less at the distractions of this world and more to your everlasting power and holiness. Jesus, thank you for living the life that we could not, for taking on our weakness and being the one who redeems us, brings us back into the family of God, even when we didn't deserve it. Lord, uh, just pray as we go from this place that our hearts are focused on you and that as we go through the Psalms together that we can continue to draw closer to you and to the world around us who needs you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who did pray that prayer to accept Jesus today, we're so excited for you and we'd love a chance to connect with you. If you're joining us online, we'd love for you to send us an email at connectedvalleybrook.cc. And if you're here with us, we'd love for you to chat with one of us, whether Pastor Clark, myself, or someone, or whoever invited you, just let somebody know that you had taken that step because you're part of a family now, a family of God. And we're gonna close today with a song that's one of my favorite worship songs. Um, And I love it because it echoes so well the message of Psalm 8. We've sung it a lot of times, but I think we could sing it 100 billion times more and it would still be fresh. So uh, please join us as we sing this song and uh, just declare the majesty of God in all the earth. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.